Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, RenewalChicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. Today I'm going to be preaching from Matthew 9, 35 through 38. If you can flip to that. And then when you get it, just go ahead and stand up for those who are able. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. The title of the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And Jesus went throughout all of the city and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today. God, we thank you for your amazing text that you gave us today. God, we thank you for your amazing love. And God, we thank you for another opportunity to learn more about you and respond to you today. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, anybody like Simon Sinek? Anybody like my dude, man? Start with your why, finding your why, all the good stuff. That's my dude, y'all, man. That's my dude. Uh, I don't read books anymore, y'all, other than the Bible. I listen to audio Bible. Like, dude, it is what it is, bro. I go for a run, and I complete books left and right, y'all, boy. It's like, man, reading more books in my life. So he makes an argument in there that whenever you're selling anything, when you're casting vision, when you're building your marketing deck, you have to start with the problem, then the need, then the solution. So that's how I'm just going to break up this text right here. So we're just going to go through it, those three points, and then I'm going to do a little bonus one at the end. So we see Jesus walking around, and it's clear. He looks out. He sees the problem. Um, they're harassing helpers, sheep without a shepherd, that he's been healing people with the diseases and all the things they're going through. But God is making it very clear that he sees that we're in a broken world. Uh, Jesus walked on land, God in the flesh came down, and he has seen that, man, we are in a broken world. Uh, there's people who, who are empty, the people looking for purpose, there's people dealing with financial crisis, family issues, and all the things, and all of this is because we live in a broken world. But read this passage, it didn't really take me much growing up to really realize that, man, we live in a broken world. So I'll tell you a story. So I grew up, St. Louis, um, had a really good childhood, and God blessed me with a cousin that literally was like my brother. And if you heard this story, it's one of my favorite stories, though. Hear it again, you know, man. He was one of my brothers, man. Like, seriously, we did everything together, y'all. He was better than me at everything. I'm talking about sports. Uh, we was the little kids who run down the street with our shoes off to try to become Olympic athletes one day. Uh, we played peewee football together. Our first crush was the same girl. Uh, like, we did everything together, y'all. Um, but... It's about like two, two instances where I realized, man, he just got my back, man, more than anybody I know, man. Uh, we ain't really had that much funny money growing up. But Christmas was like, my family was going to do whatever it takes. Like, hey, whatever you want for Christmas, you got. Like, my parents were serious about that. And, man, I'm telling y'all, man, I'm about 12 years old. 
and all I wanted was a bike. A little black boy in the hood, a bike is freedom, y'all, man. Because my mama had one rule, just be home before the lights came on. And it's like the street lights. That's like 9 o'clock. I can go wherever I wanted to. So 12, mama, I really want this bike. Daddy, hey, could y'all give me this bike? I really want this bike. Hey, I got this bike, man. It's 10-speed, all black. It was nice as all get out, y'all, man. My bike. So had that mug for about three months. And in my neighborhood, you got to lock up everything, y'all. I mean, back in the day, every car had that little, little thing you pull on the steering wheel that locked it up. It's like you got to lock up everything in my neighborhood. So locked up my bike. So you lock the front fence, you lock the second fence, and then you put your bike in the, the third fence and you chain it up on the fence, y'all. Like, my bike is locked up. And I come out one day, y'all, uh, and dude, it, this, this is when I found out the world was really broken, man. Somebody stole my bike, y'all, man. Like, like, it hurt me. Like, like I'm for real. It's like, dude, I walk across the street to Daryl, and I'm like, Daryl, man, head down. I was like, man, I hate living in this neighborhood, man. You can't hide nothing. And Daryl's like, hey, man, it is what it is, but let's go. I'm like, man, where you go? I ain't got no bike. He said, let's go. We finna walk around the neighborhood. We finna find your bike. I'm like, what? 12-year-old kid, like, hey, we finna go find your bike. I'm like, hey, we don't know who got my bike. I can wait till next year to ask for another bike. Like, so I tell people all the time, like, I grew up in the hood. Like, literally, my family called me last week. They were in a drive-by. Me and my wife, we went down to my family later on that week. I mean, it's a bullet right in front of my front door. It's a bullet through the couch. Like, we live in the hood. But I was never hood, y'all, man. I lived in the hood. Daryl was hood, y'all. Like, like for real, he's like, hey, let's go find I'm like, man, it might be a grown man with my bike. He didn't care. Um, he was like, hey, let's go get that bike. So that's one, one instance where I'm like, man, Daryl got my back. But then I went off to college, and Daryl stayed in the neighborhood. And I came back. I became a Christian in college. Uh, so it's spring break, and I come home. And I sent some letters out to my family asking them to help fund one of my mission trips. And I sent it to my grandma. I sent it to his grandma. And I get home. Daryl pull up. 26 rims. Dog on um, ice cream paint job car. Gold. He, he just balling. I'm like, dee. I hop in the car. He's like, what's up, Tony? Man? How you doing? It's like, doing good. You know? He's like, hey, grandma told me about the, the letter. You're doing the, the mission trip. And he's like, I got you. I'm like, what you mean you got me? He said, I got you. I say, bro, it's $1,500. He said, that's nothing to me. It's like, D, bro, why the heck did I go to college, boy? Shoot. Um, and I get out the court, and I was like, dang, man. I should have told him more about this mission trip. But I made a phone call to one of my spiritual leaders in my life, and I was like, hey, is it okay if God provide my financial resources from a drug dealer? You know, I was like, just checking. Before I turn in his money, um, just want to know, Daryl always had my back, y'all. I'm talking about from a kid up to college, um, he had my back, man. So I found out the world was broken when they stole my bike. But the day where I really found out the world was broken, this is the next slide. The mom mother called me, Daryl got shot 18 times. They still don't know who killed Daryl. It's like, man, 18 times. And it's like, dang, man, I remember getting that phone call, my heart just dropped. And I was like, oh, my gosh, man, we live in a messed up place. Man, one of my closest friends, somebody that loved me more than anybody who will always have my back, just got murdered. And that's what we're talking about. We live in a broken world. Jesus looked out. He's seen the people. He's like, man, they're harassing helpers like sheep without shepherd. They all are going through so many things because we live in a broken world. Many people respond, and they say, hey, hey we got a couple of solutions. And even, no, I even go, it's like, hey, that's Tony. That's, that's his world. He lived in the hood. But I was like, man, look at a couple of stats of just Chicago. They say 10,000 people last year were homeless. 
It's like, that's just Chicago in our neighborhood. Um, you want to go look at fireworks, go down to the pier, say, man, three people get stabbed. I think one person got murdered and uh, a dozen of them got injured. Sad. They got a little tracker online that you can see how many people get shot in Chicago this year and how many died. They say every three and a half hours, somebody gets shot. So from the time that you left your house and get back home, somebody probably got shot. And every 17 hours, somebody get murdered. It's like, man, in our city. Then I was like, man, dude, sex trafficking in our city. Over 16,000 women are sex trafficked out. And in our country, almost 300,000. I mean, we in a broken place, y'all. Jesus saw that. That's why he came down. And he's seen that the people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So what's the, what's the need? And I didn't, I didn't been in the hood and I didn't been in college. I didn't sit with people with PhDs and everybody got they, uh, these options out here. Oh, maybe if we provide more money, that'll solve the issue. It's like, man, I've been around people with a lot of money. And, dude, they, they got just as many problems as I do, maybe even more. My boy Biggie, you know, yeah, he'll tell you about more money, more problems. So... And then you see, man, maybe, maybe if we drop some books, maybe we give them good education, that will fix it. Man, I, I went to pretty good schools. And like I tell you, I hang out with people with master degrees and PhDs. And dude, they just as suicidal as the people with no education. It's like, man, I'm not sure if education fixed the problem. But hey, maybe that medicine. Let's give them more medicine, man. All this anxiety in the world and all these, all these people. Our brains are just rewired. We just need to straighten it out. But I'm telling y'all, man, money, education, medicine is not our ultimate solution. Those things do help, but our ultimate need is Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at the rest of the passage. So we see the need. Jesus Christ is the ultimate need, and he came down to the earth, and he walked around. He was healing those with diseases and every affliction. Um, we can't get away from that. That I, I, I love the social movements out there and everything. But, dude, you take Jesus out of it, man, it's, it's temporary. It's a Band-Aid. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate solution. And just for those in the room say, hey, man, hey, Tony, it's cool. I'm not really understanding this Christian and this gospel thing. Um, I got a little illustration for you. And for all the ones who truly understand this, like, Tony, you're wasting my time with this gospel thing. I'm telling you, take notes so you can go share this illustration with somebody later on today or this week. Um, before next Sunday. So, quick little illustration I got right here to just give a little summary of the gospel. I love this mug so much. So, in Genesis, we started in a perfect world. The guy had a perfect plan, and he laid it out. That They were all in a garden, had an intimate relationship with God, walking around naked, everything it exposed. They just had a, the perfect relationship with God. God gave them one rule. He said, hey, go do whatever you want to do. Eat whatever you want to eat, but don't eat from that tree over there. They disobeyed God. And that's what sin is. If God set a standard and we fall short of that standard, that's all sin really is, y'all. Let's not spiritualize it too much. Um, they disobeyed. And that's where sin comes into the equation. But, and that's how we got into this broken world. That the earth became broken, our hearts became broken, and we be trying to fix it with different things. And that's where money comes in. It's like, man, money is just a tool that I try to use to, to make myself feel better, to fill this void. That's where drugs come in. It's like drugs come into the equation where I'm just trying to, to numb the reality that I live in a broken world. Um, power and all these things are things I just try to cover up. I mean, there's something wrong within me, and it's just spread all throughout the world. But 
the beauty of this is that if we do turn and believe in Jesus Christ, there's a solution out there for you, the greatest need. God came down to man. He died on the cross. And now he's sitting on the throne in heaven. And he's making space for those who do turn and believe in him. But for those who are still on earth, chilling, you get to grow. It's called sanctification. You get transformed into his image, not to a better person, a better version of yourself. You get to transform into his image, and that's what perfection truly is. And you get that relationship with God. And one thing people tend to leave out of this equation is, like, that is the gospel. But then, once you get to that and you have that intimate relationship with God, the old is gone, the new has come, he sends you out into the broken world to draw others new to him. He saved you, he's saving you, and then he's sending you to be a means to saving other people. Um, and that is the gospel. That, man, the world is messed up, and God wants to do something about it. And he came down to do something about it. And those who truly are Christian should be the awesome people that's doing something about it. So that's that right there. I got this little diagram that I want to show you guys about, man, how did that play a role in my life? 160 years ago, and if you've been around me for a day, I didn't told this to you. Uh, 160 years ago, regular old Joe. That's what I love about it, because I'm a regular dude. I ain't going to hear no eloquent words come out of my mouth, you know, man. Might not even half of my words, real English words, you know what I'm saying? I'm just a regular Joe, you know what I mean? Edward Kimbo, regular dude, showed up to Sunday school class, and he was preaching to the students, and he said, hey, one day he was looking at class, and there was a kid over there falling asleep, not paying attention, distracted, and he's like, man, I'm going to show up to his workplace, and I'm going to tell him about Jesus on a personal one-on-one level. He showed up to the shoe sign place, and he shared the gospel with this guy. And he put in his journal that this was the most pointless and waste of my time because he wants nothing to do with Jesus. This guy became D.L. Moody. He professed faith in Jesus Christ and literally became one of the greatest evangelists in history. D.L. Moody shared the gospel with Chapel. Chapel shared the gospel with Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday shared the gospel with Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham shared the gospel with Billy Graham. Billy Graham preaching at a crusade. And if you ain't been to the museum out in Wheaton, you need to go check it out. Museum at Moody and Wheaton, amazing. But he's preaching um, at one of the gospel presentations. Brian Lewis' father comes to know the Lord. Brian Lewis raises up his son to be a Christian. Brian Lewis is on a college campus, goes to share the gospel to this guy at West Georgia, David Burns. David Burns, come on staff with the organization I'm on staff with, uh, shares the gospel with Mason Leaf. Mason Leaf shares the gospel with the quarterback of the team, Stuart Childers. Stuart Church decided, hey, not to enter into the NFL draft and decided to come on staff with Campus RH. And he comes to my dorm room and he shares the gospel with me. People who took an opportunity one by one 160 years ago changed my life forever. And I'm just a college student showing up in my dorm room, running through campus, man, treating women like I shouldn't be treating women, striving out this American dream, lost as all get out. And he sit in my room and he asked me that question. On a scale of 1 to 10, if you were to die today, Tony, how sure did you go to heaven? You think about that. You probably heard it a billion times. But go ahead and answer today just in case. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10, absolutely sure that when I get in line in heaven, I'm good to go. Zero, no point in me, dog, going to get me in line. You know what I'm saying? You pick where you at on that scale. I said 6. My logic was all my classes, 6 was a D. Early past the class, but you're still moving on. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm good to go, Stu. Um, and hey, he turned around and he just showed, man, Jesus Christ loves you, Tony. Like, that's, that's where I want to start. He said, man, that 
the life that you're living, if you really think that it ultimately satisfies you, and there's nothing else I can tell you. I, I can't tell you nothing. And I know it wasn't satisfying me, y'all. Um, he said, man, the guy came down and died for you. And he wants a relationship with you. He ain't telling you to take your butt to church. He ain't telling you to go read your Bible right now. He's telling me, man, man, I want you. I want all of you. And, dude, man, over about four months of just hearing that and studying my Bible, it transformed my life. And Stu played the biggest role. So a guy who took the opportunity, showed up, and it all started with an average Sunday school teacher 160 years ago. But we know the problem, broken world. We know the solution. I mean, we know the need is Jesus Christ. But let's talk about this solution. So let's go to the next verse. The solution ultimately is Jesus made it very clear that the harvest is plentiful, that it's a lot of work out there. Like, like it's a big old harvest. It's a big old field. There's 8 billion people in the world, um, and the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors. And that's the ultimate solution. Man, me, you, those who truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're the solution. Uh, and, man, it's just hard to believe. But I, I like to joke about who I am because I, I hopefully want to convince you that this dude right here, he started from nothing. And God used him, so it's got to be some hope with me. That, that's like my, my ultimate intent. I love sharing my story because it's like... Hey, you're not off the, the loose light. Like, you got to do something. Because if God can use me, he definitely can use you. Um, I put the slide up there with me and Stu. But just even give some of my, my story. Man, I grew up in the city. I mean, there's times I came home. We didn't even have the lights on and everything. But it was one day my mama was sitting down um, with me. We was reading. And I'm reading some book. And she, she looking at me. And then she started crying. Like, I... I probably seen my mama cry like two times outside of church service. You know, this was outside church service. She started crying. Like, why are you crying? She said, like, boy, you dumb as a box of rocks. It's like, and it's my fault. I was like, oh, my God. So the school I went to wasn't even accredited inner city school. They shipped me out to the suburbs, um, rode about an hour out to write the, the best free education you get in St. Louis. And um, God literally used that to transform my life. But. When I got out there, them cats put me in special ed class, y'all, man. Um, and I, I shared this, like, man, it was two other people in my class, y'all. Lizzie and Scott, and they both had Down syndrome. And I was like, dang, bruh. Like, I was set behind so far. Like, only Lizzie and Scott. I mean, it was only, like, two classes I had to go to. So I just sneaked down the hallway. You know, I'm the class clown, funny dude. But then you see me just disappear, <laughs> act like I go to the restroom, go slip into my special ed class. Boy, that traumatized me, y'all, man. I took school serious because I didn't want to get back in that class. It had nothing to do with my future. Um, but I share that. Man, I, I started from the bottom at the end of the day. Stu led me to the Lord my freshman year and said, hey, Tony, everything that I teach you, I'm asking you to pay it for it. Then you go teach somebody else. I pay for your meal, you go pay for somebody else's meal. I, I take you to a football game, one day you take somebody else to a football. Everything I do, you just pay it for it. Just, just pass it on to the next person. And... Um, I became a Christian January 2006 and August 2006 after I went to this mission project. I came back to my dorm. I was an RA. Anybody like facing the Giants? Facing the Giants? Raise your hand if you like facing the Giants. You know, man, y'all, y'all, help a brother out, you know. Facing the Giants got a scene on there. And a football movie, Christian movie, semi-okay, you know. But there's a scene on there that really got me. It was this, um, this old coach. Walking down the hall, and he was just praying over the lockers. 
She's like, God, please bless John. Please bless Zane. Please bless this person. Please bless them. Working their heart. And I was like, man, that's a good idea. So I became an RA, and I started doing that. Uh, before they showed up, I was knocking on doors, just like, nobody there. God, please bless them. Please bless them. Hey, when this guy comes to the floor, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with him. So I've only been in the faith for about eight months. And this guy right here, John, showed up to my floor, a freshman, didn't really have many friends. I befriended him. We hung out. We had meals together. He joined my intramural team. The worst player on my intramural team, but that was my homeboy, you know. And as we became friends, I started telling him about my relationship with God. And sooner or later, he became a Christian. And he went home three months later and led his parents to, to the Lord. It's like, dang, the dude don't even know nothing. We knew one illustration at this time, y'all, man. And his parents became believers, and they were going through a hard time in their life. And then he came back in January, so he four months into faith, and he said, hey, Hey, y'all, y'all want to go on a, um, a trip to Florida? I will pay for the housing and I will drive. Wait, like, yeah. <laughs> like, at this point, I've only been in St. Louis and Cape Girardeau. I haven't really got out of Missouri. I'm like, yeah. I was like, what is it going to cost us? All we got to do is when we go down there, we got to share the gospel with my brother. Just tell him about the love of Jesus Christ. I'm like, bet. <laughs> Shoot, I'm in. You know, that's not all we got to do. Uh, we went down, and his brother. Got kicked out of school, doing drugs and things like this. His younger brother, man, he really loved him so much. And we shared the love of Christ with him. I'm talking about 10 years later, he's in the military doing great, great, married, um, a golly man in the church. It's like, man, and dude, at this point, we're only a year in the faith, and we're seeing God work crazy. We ain't even know how to pray yet. You know what I mean? Like, like God was working. And I share that story. It's like, man, because of man, just imagine if you just stepped out and took your opportunity. Next one, got a picture of Tazar. Tazar, I share stories about him teaching me about monkey brains uh, from Indonesia and things like that. Went on a trip. I got to lead him for a summer. And sometimes in your life, you just feel inadequate as a, a, a Christian leader. It's like, man, I was. Um, so I had like five guys that I was with the whole summer, supposed to be leading them spiritually, discipling these guys. And I used to wake up, Tazo would be sitting in the chair drinking his coffee, 6 a.m., reading his Bible, highlighting everything. I'm like, dang, and I'm, I'm supposed to be the leader, and I'm in the room still asleep just to give some more context of what kind of leader I was. I said, like, hey, y'all, every night we're going to pray before we go to sleep. You know, it's five of us, you know, and we praying in the room. And like three minutes into prayer, I always used to fall asleep. So the dudes I was leading used to pray for me as I sleep. You know, it's like that. I was that leader. Uh, I was so inadequate. But... And Tazar, I still tell people to this day that, man, Tony made a great impact in my life, man, leading me. And now he's a pastor in Indonesia leading a, a thriving church. It's only two years old, and it's bigger than our church in the number one, in the biggest Muslim country in the world. It's like, dang. Like, took an opportunity despite me not being adequate. Man, I stepped into the plate, and now I get to celebrate with him. Me and my wife got to hang out with them about a month ago, um, leaving a maiden's church. Um, and then bring it home with with this one right here. One of my, my favorite stories of God just using me, um, my guy LG right here. Um, LG, I meet him in Memphis, and he affiliated with a gang. He was selling drugs at some point, and one of the wildest dudes, I feel like. He, he, was, he was like the Daryl in the neighborhood, you know, good guy, just got into the wrong things. He becomes a Christian, disciple for a few years, and dude, 
He's a deacon at a church. And he decided that, man, he's going to live in the hood. One thing I tell people is like, hey, I did my time. Like, I did my time in the hood, y'all. Man, I know I sound like a sellout. I know I'm cool with it. I am what I am. But it's like, man, I, I just ain't trying to move back to the hood. However, doing what I do and sharing the gospel, I get to send people all across the world, especially to the hood, you know. And LG said, man, I'm living in the hood. He's teaching. And, dude, he got an amazing uh, ministry going on, raising up young generation of African-American men in Memphis, um, faithfully serving at the church and giving his life away. From just an average Joe who used to be in special ed class, that probably used one illustration. If you ever go out sharing the gospel with me, y'all, it's literally one illustration. I ain't really got much. My relationship with God in this illustration. Um, and I have seen God transform the world. Um, but I'm going to look at this passage one more time. One thing that a lot of great salesmen and vision casters don't do, they don't give you the, the full context of what's going on. And we're going to flip to Luke. It's the same it's the same. You ain't got to flip. It's the same passage. But Jesus added a little something at the end. And he said, hey, I'm sending you out lambs amongst wolves. It's like, dang. He said, the harvest is plenty, the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord as harvest to raise up more laborers. And then I'm sending you out lambs amongst wolves. It's like, man, why, why do you say that? Because, of, man, of those who are Christian and who truly do embody the message of Jesus Christ, the task wasn't supposed to be easy. He told you what you was going to get into. Uh, he told you it was going to be hard. He told you it was going to cost something. And he told us we're supposed to be the most loving people, kindest people, people who burn the fruits of the Spirit in a world that may tear you apart, that probably will tear you apart. But that ain't no excuse not to get in it and get dirty. Uh, so I got two more lost opportunities as I close out this sermon. And the first one is uh, I got the emperor of Mongolia back in the day, one of the largest emperors, uh, I guess, empires of the time. So I'm going to try to say my dude named Kush Bu Khan. That's how close I get. Google it. It's up there. One of the largest empires uh, of his time, they say from Syria all the way to China. Like, it represented about 25% of the world. Dude was killing it, y'all. Like, a powerful man, one of the most powerful men of the time. Talking about 700 years ago. And then he wrote a letter out to the Christian world. He said, hey, you send me a hundred skilled men of your faith. And if they convince me, then I will be baptized. Not only will I be baptized, will my officers be baptized. And, dude, I promise you that there will be more Christians here than there is probably in the rest of the world. And I'm like, dang. He said, hey, just send me a hundred skilled Christians who know their faith, I'll be baptized. We're talking about from Syria, that's basically Middle East, all the way China, and some of Russia. All of that was this dude, and he was in charge, one of the most powerful men in the world. You know how many people showed up? Zero. Zero. I like to think that maybe they didn't understand what Jesus, when he sent them out. I'm sending you out lambs amongst wolves. So maybe they was thinking 700 years ago, it's like, hey, man, that's a long way across that ocean. That's a big old mountain to climb. I'm just not interested in that sacrifice. Maybe they was thinking like, oh, man, this is the most powerful dude in the world. Maybe he's trying to trick us to get us out there to kill us. Maybe they was thinking, man, what if we get out there and he just reject us and we got to walk our way back, back home? I'm thinking, man, those are probably the things that went through people's mind who didn't show up. I was like, dang, 
we look at right now, that's probably the biggest lost opportunity in the history of Christian. Like, he asked for somebody to come, tell them about this Jesus, and nobody showed up. So most of that country over there, I mean, the world order became a communist nation. Until 1998, they opened it up to allow people to even come in and talk about Jesus at that time. So most of them, until about 20 years ago, 0% Christians. At this point, if you just look at on my goalie right now, it's only 2% Christian. But that's just my goalie, and that's not including China and Syria and so on. But missed opportunity, a lost opportunity on the church side. But going to go to the last slide. It's easy to point fingers at all the Christians that didn't show up with an invitation to come speak to the most powerful man in the world. I remember sitting in the car with Daryl, and like I say, 26 rims, nice ride, grill, nice chain, balling, my big brother, even though he was younger than me, and dude, he said, hey, Tony, man, I heard you going to this mission trip. It's like, yeah. Um, hey, Tony, um, I got you. $1,500 ain't nothing to me. And he was like, hey, man, so you serious about this? And this is what I said. I say, uh, so, I mean, you know, we, we go to church, you know, uh, like, I mean, it's, I'm trying to grow, you know, stumbling around my words, scared, um, not saying much of anything. And then I get out of the car and I get that call three months later that man, Daryl got killed. And that moment, my heart dropped. And it was about the fact that, man, I lost probably the greatest opportunity that God has given me. I ain't going to get that back. The cute thing about the gospel, the amazing thing about the gospel is that if you believe in Jesus Christ the second before you die, you're good to go. It's a scandalous gospel, y'all. Like, you can live like hell and believe in Jesus the last second of your life and get in. So Daryl may be in heaven, so I have no clue. But this is what I think about a lot. That if Daryl is in heaven, we show up, he's going to look at me and say, hey, Tony, man, I always had your back. And then he's going to say, man, I'm not here because of you. Somebody else, man. And, dude, I decided, just like D.L. Moody, that every opportunity I get, man, I'm going to be faithful to telling people about this Jesus Christ. Because of ultimate, that's the greatest need of the world. So I'm challenging you that you've been a Christian all your life. And you got roommates and neighbors and, and, and people that's all in your life you're not sharing the gospel with. And I'm saying take the opportunity. Don't be like me. Don't be like D.L. Missing opportunities left and right. And those in the room who say, man, I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. Say, man, I'm telling you, dude, <laughs> it really is life abundantly. Like, yes, I get heaven when I die. He say all things are going to be made new. But, dude, I get the fulfillment deep inside with purpose and joy in a relationship that I long for that I can never be able to explain. So I challenge you, man, to really investigate the claims of Jesus Christ and turn to him. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take communion. Dear God, we thank you that you took that opportunity and that you stepped off of the throne and that you came into our lives, that you came down on earth and that you lived a perfect life and that you died on the cross for my sins and our sins. And God, I just pray that we be faithful to you and that we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you. Uh-huh.